0: Have you done a podcast before? I was trying to find one. Uh, so I have. Here, choke him on the mic. Otherwise, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: It's been a while. Um, I've I've done a few, maybe four years ago. And podcasts were just becoming a thing, so I'm excited to be here,
0: dude. This is unbelievable. I was trying to find one. I was like, I found yeah. there's a video of you online doing an interview.
1: Yeah, so I actually helped uh started another podcast several years ago and have some podcast clients so it's yeah. it's fun to be on the other side.
0: When you have a podcast client was that like you've done deals for them with yeah. like podcast networks or things yeah, like that? Yeah,
1: so um yeah, I had various distributors of podcasts like Cumulus and things like that. Uh, I've, I've done some of those.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's good stuff. I didn't realize this cuz you sent me your bio and I was and I was looking over it and sometimes it's hard to know like what lawyers are up to because yeah. Because, it, it, you know, there's a lot of confidentiality things, but I didn't realize that this deal you did with Warren Ziders yes. was like one of the largest deals in country yeah. music for a new artist. It's
1: been insane, you know. I think that, as you know, the TikTok whole so- short-form video content, social media stuff has gone nuts, and so he was really found this sweet spot where he was creating a ton of content and building so much leverage for himself. He ran off a clip of like something like 90 days where he was streamed a million streams a day uh which is just bonkers numbers and so it was perfect perfect storm and really on the hills he he's label mates with zach Bryan, who also has significant success leveraging the platform and so it was a really cool thing uh and it came together uh his manager charlie salvatore and i just kind of worked that and saw the process out and yeah i think it you know there's no way to verify what the biggest deal ever was because of client confidentiality but um i've never heard of a, a deal for an intro artist in nashville um that size so
0: whose deal was done first bailey's uh uh warren zyder's deal or zach Bryan's yeah, deal? yeah
1: zach was has been with warner records for and two or three years yeah. before um warren's uh deal so
0: so do you think that they were seeing like great success with an artist yeah. kind of in the country space and that yeah, was, I that's think what the, was appealing about Warner. The Warren. bigger
1: conversation too is um, the interesting dynamics between Nashville um, country labels, and then the in interjection and influence now of at labels outside of Nashville feeling like they can get in the country game, and finding out what that. Sometimes it's even within um, their own company system, like Warner Records. Obviously, we have a powerful Warner Nashville uh, shop here. And so those dynamics of working, finding collaboration points and working things. But I would say that outside of Nashville, whenever they get a country artist right now, for better or worse, they just kind of let them do whatever they want. And uh, it's a lot of times unconventional. They'll put out tons of releases, put out like cover recordings, re-record and re-release things two or three times in different versions. And you'll you see success in, with Warren, but also Zach Bryan and uh, Bailey, and some of the other guys that are coming. Just
0: even like Megan Moroney, her understand. deals with Columbia New York, yeah. and then they did the deal with Sony, which right. I think it's like a trend that's happening right now. It's like it is is that because when you go out, you get bigger advances. Like why are people?
1: Yeah, I mean, I don't know this to be true, but I, my sense is that when the leverage gets to a certain point, leverage it's all in the numbers, right? With streaming, so once you, it, it's really hard. For example, uh, if you have really high streaming numbers and you're putting it out through TuneCore, then you're getting a check for six figures monthly if you're streaming at a high clip. Well, that's really hard to compete with for a Nashville record label, even a major, because a baby deal, what I would call it, would be probably close to what someone that is streaming high numbers are getting paid monthly. So why would they would They, they don't need the advance, yeah.
0: and then they're going to – right. Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah. And so – big picture the pop space is built for that in infrastructure in new york and la so now that's why you see a lot of these country artists coming back in their way into nashville deals through bigger imprints because they they don't flinch at a larger advance because they have the data they're really very data driven outside of nashville less on you know gut instinct a and R, more on what they get the they pull the record reports kind of like Moneyball, you know And look at the numbers and then kind of say, how much is this going to make over X amount of time? This is what we can afford. And so they kind of bootstrap it. That's my impression anyway.
0: Right. So when you did the Warren Ziders deal, Mm -hmm. I guess, did you have a relationship with Charlie or how did you get in originally with him? Yeah,
1: we met Charlie through – I met Charlie through some other artists a little bit before. He's really um, super – like motivated entrepreneur going back several years been in town grinding a lot of a lot of the guys kind of around my age i'm i'm around 40 and we've all been here for over a decade just kind of cutting our teeth put your 10 years in into the 10-year town we did we did uh so i mean like like they say it's a 10-year town for songwriters and artists it's no different for industry professionals you know i came here in 2011 and just in 2022 was uh, made Billboard Top Music Attorney list. So that was exactly right on the button. Ten years.
0: Oh no way! Wait, you? Yeah, that, yeah, that, that, yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. So okay, wait. So you come here. So you meet Charlie. And then what I'm curious about is like, you do this deal with Warner. Yes. For Warren Ziders, or just any deal like originally, it, well, like how does it start out? Does the label send you an original, you know, a first draft sure. of what a deal is, and then? Do you um, like go and start redlining and say no, no, no? Or was the first deal like pretty close to what it looked like? Maybe not even to Warren specifically. If yeah. you can't talk about, it, just like in general, is it how's it, how's the flow typically work?
1: So you know, just to back up a little bit, you really have now, you know, th- about five entrances into becoming an artist in not just country, but any genre. So obviously, it first starts first first with good, the music obviously you have to be talented have to have good music but the five kind of entrances are you're performing phenomenally live and drawing big numbers that's one the second is social media presence that can be TikTok, instagram whatever the third is kind of the what i call the buddy system where you're super talented already but you have some type of in like you see this with cole swindell and luke bryan you know he was on the road with him and kind of leverage that connection then you have a more reality show uh, type of entrance, which allows you to bypass. And then you have the Nashville, also common in LA producer world, like you come up um, as a songwriter and have some hits as a songwriter first and that gives you the credibility to shift over to artists. So those are the five. So if you collect more than more than one of those five, that only increases your leverage. So like for Warren, you know he he was on the social media following path and very successful at um leveraging his uh TikTok fame into building a bridge to streaming platforms but if you you can be TikTok famous but not put any music out and it doesn't work you have right. to be able to build the bridge and so he was very successful in doing that whereas um another artist like Luke Combs when twelve hundred people were showing up uh, for a two hundred person venue in Asheville, North Carolina, that, that was enough. Yeah, it gets people's attention. You know, he yeah. just the live. He followed the live performance route there, and so in contract negotiation, it's all about leverage. It's a leverage game. So w- we try to look at what the strengths are of the artist, or, or I also work with songwriters and producers, and leverage is similar across across the board. But look at what your strengths are. Look at what you have going on so far and leverage that into a deal. Sometimes in the case of Warren, you know, you create enough leverage, they're reaching out to you. But that's not always the case. Sometimes we'll self-identify, uh, just like any other A&R person would, like a really talented artist, songwriter, producer, and try to make some connections for them, make some introductions. Um, I'd say maybe 20 years ago in Los Angeles, all the attorneys were the deal makers. And that's kind of what my model is. Uh, it's a little bit different than the traditional Nashville model but I I love doing deals it's kind of my bread and butter and I, people ask me what my hobbies are and I'm like outside of you know my my kids and family I I just love doing deals so that's the um, when
0: you go into a deal with an artist like Warren how much of that deal do you have a sense going in you know knowing where the artist is in terms of social numbers and the leverage that you're bringing to the table how much of a sense do you feel like you sort of know what the deal is going to look like and it's black and white versus how much do you feel like this is a blank slate and let's be creative about this deal and figure it out? Is it more black and white or do you feel like you're able to get in the weeds and be yeah. creative about how the deal can actually be structured?
1: I mean, Warren specifically was an anomaly. It it kind of had a life of its own in the negotiation process because so many people were coming to the table. But especially songwriter producers, depending on where they are in their career. I I have a general sense of what's going on in the market here and in LA and can kind of peg where I want it to land. Um, And then we will shop out and um, depending on if they, if this is their first deal or if this is, you know, their second deal or third deal kind of know what their market value is and able to land it within certain parameters. But no one deals the same, you know, and it also depends on what the personal needs of the client are because you know have some songwriters and producers that don't have a very high cost of living so they would rather have more ownership in their copyrights in the long term so they'll take less money um as an advance and in exchange for greater ownership versus you know others may have families or a uh, big mortgage or something they're trying to pay off and will take more money up front and have less ownership on the back end if that makes sense right
0: how aggressive can you be with a major when you're negotiating a deal with an artist is most of the negotiation uh, negotiation done redlining the contract and back and forth or do you are you often on the phone with their legal and going back and forth and does it get aggressive or does it stay pretty cordial
1: yeah it's pretty cordial i would say with business affairs um of any of the majors or um any deals as far as publishing company, if they have in-house business affairs, because obviously I'm not incentivized to tick anybody off uh, and then have to come back to the table on another deal and, and do that. But I will say that we, it it really is a leverage thing depending on how many offers are at the table, what the artist preferences are, but we, I mean, it's a, it's a very competitive uh, arena, the music lawyering, I would say. And so I'm, super competitive myself and there are a lot of times where we have very difficult negotiations and that's one of what i think is uh really enjoyable for me maybe not for all personalities but yeah uh, i love it
0: artist rights is definitely a big topic right now just in music media have you seen in the 10 years that you've been in nashville have the deals does it feel like they've started to become more in the favor of the artist or have they changed in 10 years to be better for the artist or do you feel like in reality the deals are pretty much the same that they were 10 years ago
1: well i think these had kind of a bell curve um the deals maybe 15 20 years ago were more artist friendly a lot of money flowing into the pockets of artists that you think of, they were more friendly 20 years ago 20, 20 years ago okay yeah and yeah. then we went through a period where the kind of uh, invention or inclusion of 360 rights kind of came right. and now i think we're on the back side of that coming down uh the deals are becoming a little more friendly again um i think it's because of the short form video exploitation and and artists really being able to build a little of that leverage that i'm talking about on the front end before walking in because if a label finds someone fresh like no exposure no anything they believe in them they see talent but there's nothing going on then they can kind of they have the leverage, right? They can give them uh, a worse deal on worse terms that's more favorable to the label, not to the artist, which, you know, if um, Universal uh, or Sony shows up at your door and you posted on TikTok like four times and uh, you don't have any songs out and say they're going to give you a record deal, you're, you're going to take your record deal, you know? Yeah. Um, but, you know, because there's so much access, um, so much more access now, um, I think artists are able to create that leverage on the front end um, and they can do the math once they see what they're making and figure out whether something's good or not.
0: Do you see because I can point to like a handful of artists in town that have massive, massive social followings. Some of them are even touring and selling lots of tickets and they and this they say that they can't find the right record deal, which I'm inclined to believe. But you see what these deals actually are. I'm sure you can think of a couple of these people as well who are touring, playing theaters, playing clubs, putting out music completely independent, doing it on their own, maybe with like a distributor. You know what the deals are because you look at so many of them. Do you feel like that's right, that the right deal hasn't found them yet or it's not out there? Or do you think that at that, you know, if you're in that position, are you choosing to not sign a record deal and saying, hey, we're going to go this alone? Or is it sometimes hard to find the right deal for the right artist in that case? I
1: think it's a combination of just because they're not signed to a record deal, I'm independent doesn't always mean you don't have a team right and so you may also have a manager or an agent that's bringing stuff to you and so I think it's a matter of if like in an instance of a, a high streaming artist uh, they're making a decent amount of money just through their tune core or CD baby or small distribution partner um, so they're really they're less willing to give up you know when you're poor you'll do what you can to get the money, the paycheck, but if you're already have money, you know, the first step in making it as a musician in the industry is supporting yourself, having a living wage. And if you have that plus a little sum, then you're less worried about going into a long term arrangement with a company because you might lose rights, might lose control of the creative product and things like that. So I think finding the right deal is uh an easy way to say I'm already making more money probably than they would offer me. So they're either going to have to raise their price or right. know, leave me with some of my rights or give me a compelling reason, marketing plan, access to radio, things like that, that I can't already achieve on my own. Cause that's really the, the purpose of a major now is that nobody really has access to country radio in the country space or even pop radio in the pop space because it costs millions of dollars to take an artist to radio. So that's if you want to be on radio, you're going to have to sign with a label pretty much.
0: Right. Okay. Before we move on from this, um, any good negotiation tactics that you use in your life that maybe anyone can use in their life. Do you have any like go-tos or any strategies or any things that you've just read in books that are just like, you know, s- you know, school. Yeah. That's like, that's what you do to negotiate.
1: I mean, I try really hard to not negotiate against myself. Um, how, do, how do you and, not do that? Or what does that mean? And so whether it's, I, 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 kind of refuse or avoid throwing out my deal points in advance when we meet when i meet with the client and assess their situation know what kind of leverage they have know what the market is we'll set a range behind the scenes of kind of i think this is where it'll land but we'll collect first offers and let uh, you know a lot of uh a lot of labels will even ask the writer or the publisher or the um, producer or the artist like what are you looking for and i always coach them to say I'm looking for a place that gets me creatively, that has a good culture. Don't say a number,
0: basically. Exactly. Do you think they're asking that because they want them to make the first move? Oh yeah, a hundred percent. Right, one hundred percent. Because yeah, they thinking. want them to th- to say, "I'm looking for thirty thousand or yeah. whatever the number is." But, yeah, and I then really
1: they... need thirty thousand dollars to pay my bills, and that's what I'm most concerned about right now. Don't ever say that. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just, yeah. Uh, leave that to your attorneys or reps. But that's kind of you know first things first. Never negotiate against yourself, even when you're. Uh, getting comments back that are general, uh, from the other side, like we can't do this number. Then I would never come back and say, well, what about this number? I'll just say, well, pro- tell me what you're proposing. <laughs> you yeah.
0: Know. What's the thing? Because I was negotiating a deal for something big sponsorship opportunity. Yeah. And I said to them, what was your budget? And they said to me, well, what are you looking for? And I said, well, when you give me your budget, I can I can put the best package together for you. And they said, well, we'd love to see the package. Like, they knew, you yeah. know, we were both on the same page about what we were doing. Yeah. And then eventually I gave in, I gave a high number to what I thought, because I was like, this isn't going anywhere. So I felt like I had to give a high number to keep the conversation moving. They came back, and we saw of men in the middle. But sometimes it's really hard, because, like, I feel like people both know this game. If yeah. you're dealing with, you know, smart negotiators... So like, where do you go from there? So, At some point, someone yeah. has to give in,
1: right? Uh, first, My first step, uh, or second step in, in that negotiation, is to go with the humor route and just be like, whatever you're thinking, double it. No. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but, but do you uh, say that? Is that a real line that I you say? I will say, say it. You yeah. Will, yeah. I yeah. will
1: say it. But I mean, usually, again, with market experience, this is why it's really important for artists, songwriter, producers to have an attorney that is doing this day in and day out, because I can ballpark what it looks like. And I would just revert to, well, these are similar deals that I've done lately and this is where it landed. Um, So, and probably shoot a little over that. Um, Because at the end of the day, we're all playing in the same pool here, whether it's here or LA. um, And so people know kind of what people get. Um, But the important thing is for me personally, I only want to take as much money in an, in an advance to make sure, not just the artist or songwriter is uh, comfortable financially, but uh, maybe a little bit more than that, so that they're being able to get the few nice things that they want if they're in a leverage position. And then, but the biggest thing is the rights, uh, grabbing as most of the rights on the back end as possible. If you create some leverage in the middle of your deal, right now I'm doing renegotiating deals that are in the middle of the term, not at a renegotiation point, but the the writers or artists have leverage because of sudden popularity, and so we're already renegotiating their deals to try to capitalize on that leverage moving
0: forward. What do you bring to the table when you do that? Because that's something that always makes my head spin. Is like, yes, you might have leverage, but you're in a deal. So how? What do you negotiate? You try to give something else to get something else. Like, how's that right,
1: work? Right, right. We would just give. In an example of a songwriter that all of a sudden you know has several number ones, but they're still in their first deal, meaning it's very terms that aren't as favorable to them, we would just say, "Hey, we're going to give you a couple more years and, you know, in exchange, we hope that you'll give us more ownership in the back catalog because we're all we all want to win together. It's a good relationship. Let's just keep it going for the long run situation like that. And most of the times the publishers or the label will see that value and, you know, really recognize that as a long-term investment opportunity on both sides.
0: Among the publishers in town and LA, Definitely you have majors, you have major indies. Without giving any names, are there some that you get super excited to negotiate with because you know it's going to be a good process? And are there others where you go, oh, God, this is going to be tough. I know that person. That's a that's a hard ass. Or across the major players, do you think people are overall pretty fair?
1: So I think that companies that have in-house business affairs folks, like in-house legal, always easier to negotiate with than – companies that typically the smaller companies like independent publishers or independent uh, record labels will have like a outside general counsel which is like a like me uh someone at a law firm and I also I'm on the other side representing independent publishers independent labels as well that's a more uh difficult conversation because we're usually the ones being uh strategic and aggressive uh on our side so when you pit two aggressive attorneys with each other, you know, negotiating, who have seen a wide variety of deals uh, from multiple companies, it can be a very difficult uh, to get the deal done. When you're working with, like, someone that is in-house counseling the majors, they only see the deals that their company does. They're not worried about right what Sony or Universal, you know, they're not worried about the other companies. They're just, these are the types of deals we do. This is our form. These are the points that are negotiable. These are not, you know... Um, and so really on those we're only talking about money and ownership that's really the only variables but when you're dealing with another uh, independent outside council that's representing an independent company you're not just talking about the material money and points you're talking about really a lot of times the structure of the deal like this provision is written incorrectly you know because i'm experiencing this and you guys need to rewrite this whole section and you left out words here it's more in depth, like kind of uh, intellectual attorney arguing involved versus, right. uh, you know, dealing with the internal business affairs.
0: So, whenever you're like, oh, that company has internal business affairs, you take a breath or whatever. No you doubt. say, this is no going doubt. into it. This is probably going to be a little bit more, you know, I don't know, an easier experience yeah, for sure. And again, it's super
1: competitive. And if you're an attorney that's an outside counsel, kind of independent, like you're in a different law firm, then you also have artist, songwriter, producer clients in addition to your company clients, and so we're all doing deals with each other, and we're highly motivated and highly competitive, and you know going after the same type of clients. So it, that's it's a very interesting. It's not for the weak. It's not for the fate of heart. It is not.
0: This is so in your bio. I mean, one of the things that was like super impressive last year. It says you did twenty million dollars yeah. worth of deals, which you know is a seems like a very impressive number. As a lawyer, as you're tracking your career, is that a metric that really shows success, or is that even though it's impressive, is it a little superficial? Like, is there something else that you look to, like the types of deals or the quality deals sure. or the the types of clients that you work with, or is that something that you look at and you go, that really is a statement of success that I'm holding myself to, and next year I want to do thirty million or whatever it is? Yeah.
1: So I mean, I think that it every year is different and how it um, plays out for the work that we do, but for me last year was really interesting. You know, that wasn't just a one-off deal for 18 million and then random other stuff. Uh, You know, we really worked hard to put, I mean, my heart coming from the management space a long time ago, my heart is in the creative development and the uh, putting clients in the right position to succeed. So a lot of that 20 million was small deals that added up, you know, game, game changing in the personal context for a lot of Uh, developing artists songwriters producers having their first deals having you know after their first or second deals finally signing with a major label so that 20 million represents the success story of probably over 100 clients uh last year you know i think there are some opportunities for bigger bigger deals i had the honor of doing some more acclaimed um producers and songwriters catalog deals yet last year as well and that's really interesting process less about the money but just knowing that you're playing a part when you look at the schedule a of all the songs uh and they're songs that you kind of grew up on that's yeah right just so cool to be like you know you're you have an impact in the chain of title of this piece of intellectual property that you like grew up listening to which is just so cool to me
0: yeah Absolutely. And then recently you were just brought on board with sync music group to do their, well, I guess their country, they're getting into the country acquisition space. So they go, okay, we need an expert who knows the space really well. And then do they reach out to you or how's that relationship come together? Yeah, So
1: a lot of clients come to me through mutual referral after being here over 10 years and doing deals with different folks. And so uh, a business affairs or a business uh, management company that I've done some accounting work with recommended me to them and, they're a very interesting company. Um, a couple of their executives were named or nominated on billboards executive of the year list this, this year. And, um, they're really, uh, motivated and forward thinking about getting into the country space after being in a lot of the Latin space and hip hop space for, for several years, but it's exciting. They, um, you know, deals come through various channels and sometimes they were approached, uh, to be a funder or a purchaser of um, certain assets here, and other times, you know, folks from Nashville will take stuff and they'll find it that way. Sometimes, as attorneys, we shop stuff around too. So um, we, it's going to be a good relationship. There, they've done a couple of uh, ventures with another company, Boom uh, Music Publishing, here in town, uh, run by a couple of really good, smart entrepreneurs. So. We're yeah. excited about that.
0: Do, do you do anything with you? I mean, you talk a lot about New York and L.A. or any deals happening. Uh, I'm sorry, L.A. and Nashville or any deals happening out in New York, or do you not really see any deals happening out in New York?
1: Yeah, New York is less uh, active, I would say. Whenever I was first practicing, practicing, I would go to New York as much as I would go to L.A. That just my deal flow personally, and just my general senses. New York is a little bit less active in the music scene currently, um, right. but everything kind of ebbs and flows. You know, the you're still big three are New York, Nashville, and L A. Submarkets right. like now Miami, Austin, Seattle, Chicago. Um, those are kind of the four m- music markets that below the big three. But for my personal book, I'm spending about a third of my book is in L A. So I I do quite a bit of business out there.
0: Okay, fair enough. Yeah. When you talk about you have a I guess handful of clients like three clients that you do management consulting for, all yes. signed to major labels. Um is that the kind of thing where they go, "Hey, Christian, like we need you in this position." They come after you and you go, "Okay, let's figure out this works." Or do you go after them? Do you say, "Hey, like I did the deal for you, but I really think it- I could help you in these areas. Like, like how does someone go from a client to like a management consulting client?
1: So typically I don't represent clients in the creative space in the management capacity. If they're my legal client, um, what happened in this instance with a couple of them is that I represent the management company. And because I have experience in management prior to practicing law, um, one company in particular, um, truth management owned by missy gallimore who's legendary a and r guru in town um she opened her management company signed four acts within 18 months all four were signed to major labels and it was kind of like a an all hands on de- deck situation like we have four major label acts and we just opened this company who all can help it's kind of all hands on deck and so yeah you were I, deputized i came into that capacity and uh started doing some management stuff for her um acts but outside of that in the creative space coming i always say uh more of a creative brain uh, attorney approach so any value adds that i can give to my clients i'm not uh above doing anything i've carried road gear i've gone out on the road and you know did tm stuff who are you and, going
0: out with you you'll go out and tm a client i'll if, tm a client and do you charge seen. your lawyerly hourly uh, rate because that probably gets expensive you're I'll, spending days on the road with them all <laughs> all included all included no, all included added. This is the guy you want to represent you. And you'll go out and, like, you'll shop deals or, like, so, like, if yeah. someone gets a deal and they'll come to you and you'll say, like, hey, I've got a deal from X Publishing Company, like, you will you say, like, hey, like, this is great, super exciting, like, let's shop it around. And they're like, don't sign that deal right away. Let's see. Yeah. Is that how it
1: works? Well, I don't like to... Uh, I love shopping for deals. Um, what I'll typically do is create, like, a pitch deck for a client uh, and shop it out to folks that I think would be good, uh, a good partner. I don't overshop stuff. I'm very particular about my network and connections and I, I try to not just um give people a bunch of junk mail spam pitches. I, if I'm pitching something to you and you're an executive, I think that it's I genuinely think that it, my client would be a good fit with you. And so for example, we'll you know, I have a couple of um, clients that are unsigned songwriters right now and have some traction on, on upcoming artist records. And so I'll put together kind of like a brief rundown and send it to my connections at different publishing companies that I think might be a good fit for this individual. Once we have kind of a bona fide offer, or if a publisher come to the table first, and it wasn't something that I pitched out, I won't take usually take that offer and just like shop it around and be like hey this pub- publisher gave me this what else can we get you know i think there's a lot of trust when music industry executives bring stuff to you for your client and usually would try to get the best deal for the client uh, you know with that publisher but if i'm pitching out then i'll pitch it to as many folks as possible right. there are other styles of practicing of course this type of law and it's pretty niche so everybody has their own flow
0: so, some people will will go shop out, and you think that's bad character to get a deal and be like, let's just milk this around. Let's see, like, let's, 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 yeah. you know, let's, because sh- that seems to me like if I got a publishing deal, I would love to do that because A, you're in the driver's seat a little bit, and B, it's like, why not shop it around and see what the best deal is? But uh, that's not really the best thing to do, right? Well, I think that as an attorney, we
1: have a reputation to uphold as to, you know, those business affairs contacts and relationships that are valuable in the long term. And so it's not, it, we would never do anything to the detriment of the client, but there's kind of a, a tiered system and it's not illegal. It's not unethical, but it is the third one, which is just kind of uncool. Frustrating. <laughs> uncool. <laughs> it's not cool. And, and I try to stay out of that not cool, uh, you know, when I'm on the pitch uh, as much as possible. Now, I'm always also brutally honest with BA folks. If I do plan to shop it around, it, it won't be in secret. you know, if the offer is not if it's not a good fit or if it's not the terms that we were anticipating, I'll just point blank and be like, we're really hoping to land this between here or there seems to be some mutual interest between this client and this other company. We're just gonna see play, let that play out. And if you have thoughts on that, I'm for me, I'm really big proponent of a joint venture. Uh, situation meaning two companies especially in the publishing world coming together to do one deal so that with, would be like
0: an independent with pretty much always a major or is it worth uh, doing a jv sometimes with a non-major there's, or major sometimes MD? there's
1: two independents but my, my favorite is to do jvs with an independent and a major because you get kind of the best of both worlds you get the uh, service and um, attention of an independent but the backbone of a major and it's just a really i've had several deals like that and i will even put together deals like that there's a few right now that you know we're getting independent offers from majors and independents i'm like why don't we just like take a little bit off of what the um rider was going to get and bring in two of you guys to do this deal together so that we everyone can win you know and get to success faster
0: right 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 okay wait so going back a little bit so when you originally started in management when you were a manager did you have your law degree or were you a manager and then you got your i law did degree? have
1: my law degree i kind of came to nashville my wife says when we were 17 i said i can't decide if i'm gonna work in the music industry or be an attorney so i kind of came to nashville with that same mentality and um ran across a few artists that didn't have managers and had always wanted to do it like fresh fresh off the bus in nashville and so looked into doing some stuff and um So, I had my law degree and kind of had launched my own solo practice and my management company at the same time.
0: And then, uh, when did you go to law school? 10 years ago, give
1: or take? Yeah, uh, it was, yeah, 2009. So, wait, so you said how old you were. So, you
0: were what, in your mid to late 20s when you went to law school? And then, what were you doing before that, basically? Were you just trying to make in the music industry and like graduate college and then
1: doing college and doing.
0: you know, I have two master's
1: degrees that I did before law school. So I was a professional student there for a minute.
0: Right, right, right. Yeah. Well, the thing is, like, I've always considered I don't think I would ever do it, but I've thought about, like, would I ever go to law school? I don't think I would want to become a lawyer, but I do think I would be interested in law school. Like, I think law school yeah. would be interesting, but I don't think I would want to become a lawyer. But what like what what, like do you feel like you got something out? Of, like if you had gone the management route and you ended up not taking the bar, maybe you took the bar, but you didn't become a lawyer. Was it still valuable to get that education? Did it change the way you, you well, I thought do, about the world or what you know, whatever. I do
1: think that I also have my MBA, which I did before law school, and um, from a practical basis, that was the better education process that I utilize on a day to day basis in the entertainment industry, just from a a full spectrum of knowledge and how a lot of things work, you know, whether it comes to accounting, marketing, management, all of those things. Um, The law degree is more niche, obviously, and it's what I make my living at now. But for me, as far as as the music industry, it's really a door opener more so than a practical tool for what I'm doing with it. Um, But when you work in the music industry and you are a music attorney, that kind of puts you... It opens doors that a normal person just without that education wouldn't be able to enter. Uh, people will listen. It's just a legitimacy thing, I believe.
0: Right. When you went to law school, did you? Was there any doubt about like? I mean, I feel like because you just so many so few people actually complete law school, and it's so hard. Whatever. Like, were you, was there any doubt in whether you could do it, or were you set that you were like, I'm going to law school. 100, percent I'm going to do this. This is my thing. Or was a part of you like sort of questioning whether you had the I don't know what the ability to follow through and do it
1: I've I've never been personally the type to question you know I'm I always think of things and inevitabilities. so it was not really a whether or not something was going to happen that's kind of always been my mentality just and I try to embrace that and uh, teach clients that as well as kind of manifest your your own success uh, I'm really big on um, really just motivation and culture and working hard. And, uh, so that's just kind of always been my mentality. So less about, um, I mean, it was harder getting started, getting a foothold in Nashville than law school. You know, it was more difficult than going to law school and passing the bar because once you do that, that's like adrenaline rush of, uh, you know, several years worth of work. And then you come here and I start sending out emails like, Hey, I'm." you know so and so i just moved to nashville i'm interested in becoming an entertainment attorney and it's like radio silence you yeah. know because it is such a competitive uh space and you know the music law space is one of the sexier categories of uh law that you can practice because it's fun
0: yeah it's definitely competitive because everything in nashville entertainment is competitive but i feel like if like, you go out and you hang around like younger people who just moved to town, it's like, number one thing you hear is like, oh, I want to go work at Red Light or I want to be a songwriter or an artist. I don't think I've ever met someone who's like, I want to be a lawyer who's not already a lawyer. So yeah. like, is it competitive? Like, if in that scene, were you seeing tons of other young lawyers that moved to town that wanted to be lawyers?
1: I get about one email a day right now from someone. law students that want to be the entertainment attorneys. Yeah. Uh, and what do you,
0: because you, when you, someone put us in touch when we first met, yes. when I first moved town, and you met with me like a couple days later, we were having coffee yeah. like around the corner from here. So, like, who, who will you meet with any of these people or you really need a classic, like, warm intro in order to meet with someone? No,
1: I mean, I'm pretty, I think that I operate a little differently than most attorneys really because of my experience when I moved here and all of those unanswered emails or even emails from what are now prominent attorneys like, it's competitive business. I don't have time to meet with you. Best of luck. Like that's even worse than. Uh, but don't
0: you think? Because I used to be so pissed off when I would email people and they wouldn't meet with me. Yeah. I'd be like, Come on, you're that busy. And now I get emails too from kids. I'm like, Who am I? Like I can't imagine what you're getting. But who am I? I get emails from college students probably also once a day, every other day. Like without exaggeration, and I turn down most of them. I'm le- I'll look at the resume, I'll check their LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. And, like, typically, if there's not something there that really connects to me or whatever, I'm, like, email someone else or, like, you're just emailing the roller decks. The roller decks, like like, there wasn't a connection here for us to meet. If someone emails me and they're, like, hey, like, I want to work in media, I'm a journalism major, like, you know, whatever, yeah. I get those emails all the time. I'm, like, hey, like, I'll hop on a call or sure. let me or whatever. But I get emails, like, I'm a songwriter and, like, I'd love to meet. And if it's a bad, I don't know, sometimes I will, but oftentimes I really don't. Which maybe I should. I don't know.
1: (laughs) Well, it's interesting. um, You know, a lot of it's a time equity thing, you know, and your time's valuable. So I understand that a lot of people don't do it. For me, I just find value in mentorship and connection, and you never know how something's going to shake out. So I'll always give uh, someone some time if they reach out and want to, you know, grab a coffee. A lot of times, used to, I would do lunches or, um, you know, coffees and things like that. Sometimes now, I'll just have folks stop by the office and we'll chat and give them a little bit of time. Or that's always a great
0: move because I don't have an office. But if I yeah. had an office, it's like just come to me. Yeah, and come into my office twenty minutes. I don't have to leave. I don't have to get in my car. And then you can. And then they feel cool. Like I remember going into people's offices. Went to Espo's office first. My first move to town. Sent him an email. He brought me into his office. I remember that feeling of like, holy shit! I'm in Warner. Yeah. I'm in Espo's office. It was like, it's cool to go to the office. I yeah. think. Hey, I'm. I mean, I've been
1: here over ten years. I still cold reach out to folks in the industry I don't know and yeah, and say, hey, you know, I've heard a lot about you. We haven't d- ever done anything together. Would love to, you know, come hang out or grab coffee. And so I'm on the opposite end of that a lot. And I always just honor, try to honor people's interest and see how it shakes out. I mean, that's how we. We got connected initially,
0: so that's the. Uh, I remember first time we met, you turned me on to Gary Vee, who at the time was not an obvious turn on. It, it I don't was, think he was as big as he is he now. Wasn't.
1: He's huge now.
0: But you were ahead of the trend. You were like, yeah. you check out." I forget why you, you meant you recommend him, but I remember checking him out. Mm-hmm. And I was like, "Does everybody know about Gary Vee? And I, I at the time I don't think they did. Yeah, you, but so now they do.
1: Now they do, and so we'll, so the next big thing, what is it? No, I was gonna ask Post you,
0: Gary V. Well, I was going to ask you, what's the... N- well, you got to love Tim Ferriss. I'm sure you know all... Well, where. I feel like that was... He was Gary Vee before Gary Vee. Don't you yeah, think he I had think his he's moment? he's coming back. You, 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 is he doing now something? I he's in the
1: Web3 space, he's... You're he's very into the Web3 space. I, I think it's going to be a game changer.
0: Still? Even the fact that it's dipping yeah. right now, you still think so?
1: I do. Yeah. Um, reason being, I think the dip is really... Because stuff was over marketed and people were treating it as speculative .com assets. Bubble. yeah and so the more practical use of web 3 it's going to take some time to figure out but even in the music space just you know we have the MMA and songwriter rights are good trending in a better direction as far as the treatment but once we can have true utilization of blockchain technology for management of rights. Um, it's an irrefutable record uh, that's stamped on the blockchain. And so when we can figure out that, there's some companies doing that now um, it's going to be massive for the music industry as far as record keeping payment of royalties, things like that. But it may take another 10 years to do, but we're folks are working on it. Now. It's coming that way. The future is going to be, you know, your average songwriter, Uh, right now our producer artist doesn't if you ask them what their rights were they don't know their attorneys may know if they can recall it over the hundreds of deals that they've done but they don't know what they don't know what they do and don't own and when they're supposed to get payment and when stuff's going to revert and things like that but i think the future of web 3 and the music industry is just like on your iphone when you have your wallet with you know all your money cards you're also going to have an intellectual property wallet where you can look and see all the songs, your percentage ownership, uh, when you should expect payment, what your undercoup balances are. when Yeah, to, why why when you have that? Yeah, when to yeah. term notices out. It's all going to be stamped on the blockchain. It's it's going to be really clean and leave a lot of the ambiguities out. So yeah. I know that's in development.
0: So, okay, so you think Tim Ferriss is going to make a comeback? he Not a comeback, he never went anywhere but you think he's yeah. going to oh, yeah, yeah. do he's something? In, he's
1: in Web3, you know, his... Is, more interesting, you know. I'm I'm uh, I think that all of the folks that are getting into Web3 um, will kind of see another uptick. But
0: Jake Odell, do you know Jake Odell? No, Jake udell is a big manager in LA, and he had this newsletter that he wrote called um, uh, about a manager. I think, I think it was it, it was called something I would read every day, every, everyone read like all my friends read it. He's a big manager. I ran into him at a Web3 party six months ago, I never met him before. I just went up to him, I said, Jake. Like, big fan of the newsletter, like, marine for years. Like, like I said something like, what are you working on right now? Like, NERC's like, man, I, I got out of the music industry. I'm just in Web 3 now. Yeah. He's like, I, I sold the management company. It's like, I'm not even in it. And I was like, oh, you're probably in it for the wrong reasons, Jake. You know, if you weren't in it anymore. But now he's, like, all in on Web 3. The guy's brilliant. He's absolutely mm-hmm. brilliant. And he was like, that was more interesting to me. I, I got out. Now. Yeah, I mean, I think
1: my fascination
0: is utility with Web 3 and
1: crossover integrations between... Tangible Atoms and Web3, and uh, I think that that's kind of the next wave. Even that touches on music, but also other other areas as well. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. I, I promised our uh, friends here, we've got a, a little bit of an in-student audience, Lucy yes. and uh, Chris, right? Yes. Uh, Chris, I said that I was going to put them on the spot and ask them a question. If they had a question for work. Christian, I don't know if anything came to you guys. And Any questions? Lucy wants to be a songwriter. Chris wants to work in the music business. I'm totally putting them on the spot right now. Christian's done more publishing deals than anyone, Lucy. This is is your chance right here. How to get a publishing deal, uh, how to get your first job in the music industry. Christian, any advice for someone who's trying to break in?
1: Absolutely. So, first of all, um, it's a lot about networking once you're in town and and fresh. And I think that uh, that's not always the cold call email, but it's more... You know, you're not gonna get to know. Um, I always think of it like it's high school. You're not gonna, you don't know the people that were in your high school ten years before you. Uh, yeah, you're not friends with them. You're kind of friends with the people that are a little bit ahead of you. If you say you're a sophomore, you know the seniors, you know the juniors, you know some freshmen. I'm try to build out your core group of folks that um, you feel like you connect with, and then whenever you all, whenever one of you has success, you will all kind of rise together, and that's happened over and over again nashville especially is a very crewy place i would say and so you have these pockets of, of songwriters artists producers executives that kind of all do all the same stuff together and so i think that finding your own crew uh, that you can support one another uh when you're uh starting out but then kind of all succeed together as time goes on that's the most important thing
0: yeah how many careers have been made from like luke Combs? Like, Luke Holmes, like, all those guys, or Morgan Wallen, like, all those Nuts. guys are now, like, hit songwriters or yeah. artists or whatever. Like, Luke Holmes br- blows up, and then Ray Fulcher blows up, and then Luke brings Lainey Wilson on, on yeah. tour with them because they all came out together. And there's, like, a million others, and then 50 Egg becomes a top publishing company because Luke Holmes is involved. Like, yeah. how many people are around that?
1: It's all. It's always like that, you know, a, cr- a group that are friends that, you know, you can't substitute hard work, so you know if you're a hard worker and you're a good creative and then you surround yourself with a crew of good folks that are also hard workers then you will you will find common success together and it's fun you know i'm representing a couple of like groups of several songwriters and producers that have been doing this since they could barely put food on the table and they're coming on success yeah recently and it's so much fun to watch and you know Watch their enjoyment of you know, finally, after working so hard for so many years, seeing some of that success is nothing better.
0: Yeah, that's what it is. So basically, you should just be superficial with the people you hang out with. If you think someone's not going to go very far, don't, don't, no. be, f- don't be friends no. with them. Well, if you're that's not, the- uh, <laughs> there's a spot no, no, for kidding. everyone. There's, there's a spot, spot for everyone, everyone at the table. Yeah, Christian, we've yeah. said it all. Have we left anything out? We'll, we'll think of something uh, What's been again, on set? Uh, we will. We'll bring you back for part two. That's right. That's Dude, right. thank you for coming into the Chase studio all the way downtown. You made the trip, came all the way in. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. It's been a blast. Christian Barker, everyone. If someone's like listening to this and they're like, oh my God, I got a publishing deal. I got to connect with Christian. He's got to represent yeah. me. What's the best way to get in touch?
1: Uh, you can hit me up uh, wherever, LinkedIn, my email. Uh, my law firm is Shackleford Bowen. It's on Music Row in the BMG building. I'm. I'm easy to find at Christian Barker on most of the platforms.
0: Do you ever get that Tupac tattoo?
1: I don't have the tattoo yet, but I do have a painting in my office of Tupac. This guy's I'm a big
0: Tupac 90's fan. 90s hip hop. Two tattoos going to come one day or what, what's the it deal? Oh, I'm here for it. Let me yeah, know. It's gonna Let me know you got. Christian we'll get Barker. tattoos. I, I'll never get tattoos. I like <laughs> tattoos on other people. They freak me out on me. I get uh they thought of getting a tattoo stresses me out. I can't do it I can't comment to it.
1: Good. If I get a if I get a Tupac tattoo, will will I get a, a part two?
0: Sure, yeah. Boom. Yeah, yeah. I'll do it. Next week. That's good motivation to, to, to get it done. <laughs> Christian Barker, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Woo. Did we get it? Oh, we weren't recording. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I typically... No, I typically will do that okay. later. Yeah, yeah. Thank cool. you,
1: though. Dude, fun. Did it. Did we it. did it.